welcome everyone to the second episode of the Empowerment Minutes podcast. This is Maureen Quende, podcast host, senior instructional designer, researcher, speaker, and leadership coach. I'm so excited to have Dr. Luke Hobson on the show here today. Luke is a program manager, instructional designer with MIT, an ISD consultant and podcast host. Today, Luke is here to talk about how he made it into the field as a self-taught instructional designer. And he's also gonna give us some tips and tricks to how to work with SMEs. We know how much of a challenge that is in our industry. So I know that's something that most people would like to hear and they can take on in their work and make a difference. So um, Luke is also gonna let us know what exciting things he's working on. So thank you so much, uh, Luke, for being our, the first guest on this show. I'm really excited to have you here. And um, do you wanna start us uh, off with uh, a brief introduction about yourself? Um, what do you have to share? Of course, and thank you so much, Maureen. I am honored to be the first guest on this show. This is absolutely awesome. And as you were saying, I am a program manager at MIT. I describe myself as a learning nerd. It's really like the best way of describing right. myself. <laughs> Everything you can think about with instructional design, project management, relationship management, it's essentially what I do all wrapped up in one over there for MIT. So I design, develop the online programs for them. And then once they are done, it's my responsibility actually to manage them and make sure that they are successful. So I'm involved in every aspect from the very beginning and the idea of the course all the way until the end and rerunning the courses and whatnot. I also am an adjunct instructor for SNHU, been teaching online for a number of years now, ranging from management, marketing, IT, you name it, I basically teach a, a slew of things. And wow. I also have, as you mentioned, a podcast, a blog, a YouTube channel, and I have an institute as well. And somewhere I have free time, maybe to do other things, but that's that's me in a nutshell. Wow, you're really, you're, you're, I would say you're quite busy, but- Usually, yes. <laughs> a lot of exciting stuff. Um, out there in the field. One thing that I haven't shared with you before is I am part of this Slack group. And so we were sharing in our community one, uh, one of the best podcasts in our field. And that's how I learned about you, Luke. Like people were oh. just raving about you. And I was like, what? I think I'm just going to go ahead and check him out. And so when I, you know, went on your our website and I listened to your pod podcast, I was really excited, you know, with what you're doing. And I thought our guests should also you know, have this treat to have you in our as the first guest on the show. So thank you so much for um, oh, that's so awesome. Come along. Yeah. Great. Thank you for thinking of me. That it's it's always <laughs> it's always so interesting to hear how other people kind of find you online yeah. nowadays. Because like you you have no idea, and all of a sudden you're like, yeah, <laughs> I love the chat about instructional design, but like, how'd you find me? I have no idea. So that's really yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, when I when I got the um the feedback about your webcast and what you do. I was just like, look, I got to go find him. So, <laughs> oh, neat. so thank you so much for honoring this invite. So, um, and also for giving, uh, you know, a, a brief overview of what you currently do. And, you know, everyone has, you know, a story, how they got into learning and development. What's your story? Uh, for me, I got into the field as an accidental uh, uh, trainer um, for, uh, um, for a corporate organization. Um, so that's how I got interested in the field. And then before, before that, I was so passionate about training people. And then when I learned about instructional design, I quickly jumped into it. I, it was quite intriguing. I just couldn't wait to get in the field. I learned a lot. 
And before you know it, I was an instructional designer. So I would like to know, you know, uh, tell us about your journey, how you became an instructional designer. So my journey is definitely a strange one, because even though I work at MIT, so I'm, I'm involved heavily in academics, uh, I actually failed out of high school. So schooling wasn't my thing for the longest time. And it's so weird now to be like, oh, I have a podcast about education. And this is like, how did this happen? So I always want to mention that because I know that there's some people when they hear that I work there, they have like this false assumption that it's got like, I must be a genius or something. And I'm like, no, no, I'm, I'm a normal person. I just like to work. Apparently that's just kind of what I do and, and whatnot. So going from there, and when I went over to um, college, I actually have a BA in graphic design, I have a master's in marketing. So I went to school to go, I really wanted to be actually a designer for musicians. Mm -hmm. Gr growing up, that's what I wanted to do. And as I was pursuing my grad degree, I was working with an academic advisor very closely. And it was at that point in time where I was like, wow, I really like higher education. I wonder if I can get into this field. And then sure enough, the place that I worked at so it was at that point in time that I was working with an academic advisor and I realized about how much I loved higher education. And I really wanted to get into this field of and sure enough, that same university where I went to school, uh, Southern New Hampshire University, they had an academic advisor position opened up. So I applied, I did that for a number of years and that really helped me out in my career much more wow. than I ever thought about because I was able to talk over that period of time to thousands of students about their struggles and their challenges and how to reduce barriers and what they were going through. And I didn't realize how much that was going to impact the way that I eventually became a designer of courses. So I always had this piece of information in my mind of how do I serve students? And then I always then wanted to become an instructional designer. As I worked there, I met a ton of different folks in L&D and I would have coffee chats with them and connect with them and try to learn more from them. And I just couldn't seem to get like get my foot in the door. I always ended up getting stuck for some reason. And then a role came along that was in the academic support department that was called creative resources manager, where they were looking for someone with a design background to design the resources for the writing center, the peer tutoring center, and for someone to develop the online learning communities for about roughly 60,000 students or so at the time. So I ended up actually going there first I loved what I did, loved my team, really interesting and fascinating to be able to once again, like, as you can see, like my roles are starting to merge of the student support side, but also the design side was starting to kick in. And it was at that point in time, I kept on applying to be an ID. I was turned down a billion times. And then finally, I decided to do something different, go down to Boston, applied for an ID job at Northeastern University. Mm -hmm. And that's when finally somebody gave me a shot. And then that's what eventually kicked off my real instructional design career was at that point in time. Wow, that's an interesting route. Um, wow. And, you know, I was on a podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago and we were sharing uh, something similar about, you know, how, you know, um, pe if people should consider getting, you know, a degree in instructional design. And I was sharing them my own perspective. And then now, you know, um, your own experience, it's, it brings a, a, a twist to it. So it's just saying that, you know, you know, you falling out of, uh, of high school and then being a self-taught instructional designer, that speaks a lot of how determined you are and, you know, and, and, and also about your passion in the field, because 
he could have he could have decided like you know like not to do it or you know probably do something else and being able to work with learners you know helping them as students it gave you also an opportunity to see how they perceive learning and being able to you know have that extra um, you know passionate steps to take regarding our field so I'm really I'm really excited about this and so this speaks to our listeners out there who are wondering you know well I dropped out of school I can't do this I don't have a degree I can't do this you know what what we're saying is if you can do it you can do it so you know it all depends on you making up your mind you know uh, you can always do whatever you dream to do and uh, you just have to have the passion and uh, the desire to do it. So that's really quite an incredible journey. So do you still in design instruction? Uh, do, do you still uh, work as an instructional design uh, 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 designer, Luke? Yeah, well, the program manager title is so confusing because that's like, because a heavy part is instructional design. So I am still doing exactly what you think of. I work with some of the best and brightest folks who are my SMEs and I'm designing the online programs for them with, you know, every single thing you could possibly think of. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, I'm also working with marketing to make sure that all of the advertising material is on points or I'm doing online webinars to do promotions about the programs that I'm designing mm -hmm. or you're working with customer supports or, you know, whatever it is. So my role is really fascinating because I get to do all the fun learning science nerd side of things that you would think of. But then I'm involved in all these other things too, of just making sure that everything is successful with the program. And uh, that's just been kind of different. And why I've been trying to tell more instructional designers too about expanding their skill set mm -hmm. beyond what they might think about. Because I know that many instructional designers out there, they see themselves kind of behind the computer screen. They're like, people don't know me. I'm behind the scenes. I'm doing it all, whatever. But as my role continued to grow, there are more opportunities of stepping away from that, but still being involved in design. So for instance, I have an online webinar that's coming out tomorrow where myself and a professor are working together in order to promote an online leadership program. And wow. that would have never come about except for the fact that I like podcasting and I have a microphone. So I, yeah. I like public speaking, <laughs> you know, and yeah. that was something else too, that I eventually fell in love with all throughout uh, my schooling. I had three public speaking courses. Mm -hmm. I really don't know why that was in my program or how that happened. But because of that, I became very confident in public speaking. My dad mm -hmm. was a public speaker too. So I was like, okay, maybe I should try this out. And, you know, eventually that's what built up my confidence. And I kept on trying and failing and learning new things and applying it. And then now, <laughs> hence why you and I are talking is that, you know, this finally got me to the point of saying like, yeah, I'm totally comfortable with a microphone in front of my face and talking yeah. to who knows how many thousands of people listening. Like, it's just, uh, you know, that's what it is now, but that's fascinating. you need to get outside that comfort zone. And what I keep on telling instructional designers is that you think about your role in one perspective, but you're capable of so much more. Absolutely. You need to be able to really showcase that talent and try something new and, you know, fight for it. Because people don't think about you like that. They think of you as a, the learning science nerd, but you're like, but wait, <laughs> yeah. I can do even more things if you let me just do it. Absolutely. So. I couldn't agree with you more that's just so correct like our field is we, we wear so many hats and I, I think if someone is having a linear approach where you can only do this 
then they're limiting themselves. You know, there's so many other things that you can do in addition to your instructional design skills. And I know you mentioned that you had a background in graphic design as well as marketing. So do you think those skills, uh, in addition to your, uh, your PhD in ed educational leadership, you think they have, you know, they've con contributed to your background or, you know, or as in your role as an instructional designer? They did. They did. They did in, in weird ways too. So for graphic design, for instance, when I graduated, I actually became a freelance designer. That's, mm -hmm. I didn't want to have a boss. So I became a freelance designer. <laughs> so what does that mean? Well, that means that I had to take on clients and yeah. what are clients? Clients are basically SMEs. They're exact same way where you're designing something for them. They have feedback and iterations. You need to go through these different processes. And essentially at that point in time, I had to figure out these different types of human skills that no one really taught me about. Like, how do you influence someone, negotiate, persuade, or talk to somebody when like you don't have the power? You're the person who's doing the design work, but they don't report to you. And they're probably on the, you know, the hierarchy of things. They're, they're probably, you know, way up higher potentially. So how would you convince them that your idea is right or how to see your perspective? So that was things I was working on as a designer. And then now fast forward, you know, 10 years plus later, <laughs> it's like, Hey, yeah. this has all come back full circle. And the other thing with all that too, is that I feel that everything I did for my degrees and experience and whatnot, it allowed me to be able to speak to basically anybody. So yeah. if we're, you know, if I'm designing a um, program and then I want to go and talk to the multimedia team about say the video animations or an idea that I have, I can go and I can speak their language. Same thing with marketing. If we're talking about webinars or different types of sales funnels or campaigns or whatever it is, I know what they're talking about. So like, I'm not in the dark with anything. And then of course the doctorate in education definitely beat into my head years of just how to do research, yeah. which is a humongous component of what I do because all of my courses that I launch, we do a beta test of every single course. And then we do research to figure out how to make it better. So when you take all of those degrees and put them into one, mm -hmm. it's a very weird way of how my background actually does play a big role of what I do now. Absolutely. I, I, I believe that, you know, with instructional designers, we always like wanting to learn how to use an authoring tool, how to, you know, uh, pick up some uh, design skills here and there, you know, depending on whatever um, courses we're working on. So I think having that background, if I have that background, oh my God, or anyone who has that background, it's just something that it's, it's, you cannot, it's invaluable, like, you know, graphic design and marketing, because, you know, one thing is you're creating these courses. Now, how do you, uh, you know, communicate what you're, you know, developing? What's the value proposition? Many people struggle with communicating how, you know, or promoting their own courses. And so having that background, you know, in the place that you work, they should really be proud of, you know, you as an, an employee, because you bring so many uh, so many things to the table, um, you know, working there as a, pro as a program manager. Um, you mentioned that you're working with different teams, marketing team, you're working with subject matter experts. So I'm interested in, you know, learning more about how you navigate those SME waters, like, and, and also any tips and tricks that you can, you know, give our audience how they can work with, with, with subject matter experts. Because some of them, it's really a challenge working with them. Like they want to, they think that the instructional designers, they know everything. So you 
you have to really know how to work with them, to collaborate with them, to have, you know, a, a, a successful outcome. So I'm interested in, you know, what you can share, um, how you work with them. Of course. And I, as you can tell, I said a humongous smile on my face because it's so true. <laughs> like literally everything you said yeah. is so true when it comes to working with SMEs or subject matter experts for the folks at home who don't know what that uh, terminology is. And I actually made a YouTube video. It's like 40 minutes long of how to work with SMEs. And it's like a brain dump of everything I've learned over the years. <laughs> so if I don't touch upon anything, there's there's a whole video you can just watch one day just to kind of pick up some of these tips. Um, but certainly I have had to pick up a few different things along the way, especially because of the universities that I've had the privilege of working at. They're very traditional in nature. I mean, think about Northeastern, MIT, these types of places where they have always had these professors who are distinguished and well-known and the research and everything. <laughs> and then here comes this 30-year-old kid coming in here being, like, hey, I can do online learning. They're going to look at you a little bit funny, be like, listen, kid, like, I know what to do. I've been teaching for twice as long as you've been alive. And it's like, yeah, 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 I understand. But I know and understand how adults learn online, which is a very different type of thing compared to something that you're thinking about with your traditional face-to-face -face, um, lectures. So there's been a few different ways that I've gone around and, and try to figure out of essentially how to influence somebody and to get them on my side. So mm -hmm. the first thing I want to share is that if you are going to be going into a brand new project with a subject matter expert, you have not met them yet. So we're at that stage of point in time as far as for like you've just been a sign to work with this person. So no introductions or whatnot. What I've done before is that before I would just go in basically not knowing anything. And I tried to make a good first impression right from the start. I quickly learned that that is not the right thing to do. The approach that you should be taking is that once you've been assigned to work with somebody and you do get your name, you should be able to try to do as much research as you possibly can about this person. And what you're looking for, you're looking for science about their background, their past experiences, their educations, their passions, and try to figure out exactly what they love and to learn to be able to meet them in the middle with what you're going to be talking about. So for instance, I was working on a course that was all about business strategies, which is a very vague topic. So I was just like, what in the heck are we going to be developing? I was assigned to work with a, uh, a SME. And the first thing I did is I, I Googled him. Well, as soon as I did that, what popped up was his LinkedIn page. I was like, oh, okay. From LinkedIn, I saw that he had his own personal website. I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm going down this rabbit hole. I go on his website and I'm starting to read. And then from there, I saw that he recently published three different articles that all came out within the last couple of months. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, if he is going to be the business strategies expert, and these are his latest publications, I am going to read them. So they were very long. Of course, they're you know massive white papers as our publications are just huge. So I'm reading these papers, but I'm soaking up the terminology. I'm understanding more about his perspective of how he wrote it, where he was at the time, what he worked on, what he did. And then as I took all of this information, when we finally had our first meeting, I could tell that in his mind, he he was like, I need to teach this guy about what I mean, my philosophy. Yeah. And he started speaking. And I was just like, like I'm just going to stop you right there. I already know about this. And he's like, you do? I'm like, yeah, I read your papers. It's like, you did? I was like, yeah, I did. So because of that, though, we essentially jumped like five steps ahead of the process. Wow. Now he's just like, hey, he knows what he's doing. I trust this kid. Let's talk more than about how are we going to map out this course? And let's talk about my video lectures and go through things of that nature. So mm -hmm. by showing this type 
of an initiative that I care and that I want to go and learn more about his work because I want this online program to be the very best it can possibly be. And if I'm going into this as naive and I have no idea what this person is talking about, well, then I'm essentially wasting his time from the start. And that's a bad first impression. So by just taking those extra steps, that you know, instantly gave me credibility. It built a better relationship. And, and to this day, you know, he is still one of my favorite people um, that I work with. So it's just wow. crazy what those little small steps can do. And that's, uh, that's tip number one. I have like a thousand, but I'll, I'll, I'll stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Um, those, because I've worked with Smith before and I can tell you, um, they always have, you know, uh, have the attitude like they know so much and you don't know anything. So I think if you have to kind of like do some sort of due diligence research about them, now when you come and you're talking to them, they would know at least that you're on their side, kind of. And, you know, you're not against them. You have a common goal and that could create some opportunity to have some sort of collaboration with them. And, and I think, you know, one of the benefits of doing that is, you know, you would never know, you know, if you're going to have to work with them again, or you might have to work with another SME who's a friend to them that they can tell them, okay, no, I know how he works. Don't worry. You'll be fine. And, and you never know what can come out of it. So that's, Ex uh, that's exactly big, that yeah. the, the goal is to make champions. You yeah. want someone to be your champion. Who's then going to tell a colleague about how awesome it is to work with you. That Absolutely. is always the goal. And I can I share one more story? Because yeah. I have another one about, <laughs> about literally okay. exactly what you just said. So as far as for the goal of trying to be, uh, have someone become your champion, I was working with someone and he had never developed online courses before, mm -hmm. ever. This is completely new to him. And I started to talk and we started to go through things back and forth a bit. But I could just tell he was very resistant. Mm -hmm. So like, he said, sure, no problem. But then his actions were like, no, nah, I'm going to go do my own thing. Mm -hmm. And I could tell, like, I wasn't meeting him, like, in the middle. Like, we, we really didn't have anything. And I was just like, what is going on? And then finally, one day, we actually had a talk after months of working together. Mm -hmm. And I was just asking, and I was just like, give me your thoughts. How are you right now on this course design process? What are you thinking about? Because I feel yeah. like there's this something here you know, like we're not clicking. I'm like, what, what are you, you know, what are you really thinking about? And he told me, he is this like, honestly, I feel like this course is going to replace me. And oh, when he wow. said that, I was like, oh my gosh, I never thought about it from that perspective. Of course, you're resistant to me. If you have never worked with online learning, you don't have a clue of who I am or what I do. It's like, of course, you feel like this is the new thing that we're going to just replace instructors. So as soon as he said that, I had a totally different angle. I had a completely different approach of coming from a, a level of sympathy and caring and understanding. And then from there, I was just like, listen, I can show you and give you data and testimonials and stories and talk more about other people who have been in your shoes and now look at what we've been able to do. And sure enough, he's like, all right, I'll trust you. Let's, you know, let's just give us a shot. Kind of like a hesitant, like, okay, let's, let's try this out. And then what happened is that, as I mentioned before, for every course that we do, I make sure to collect survey data at the mm -hmm. end of every single week within the 
um, the course itself. And then after all of that, I actually then host focus groups and I do interviews to learn more about feedback from everybody. So at the end of his course, I was able to literally print out like stacks of paper and show it to him of all the people who said how awesome his course was. They loved connecting with him. They felt like they had a bond with him. He had no idea. He's like, oh my gosh, we, we did something amazing, didn't we? Like, yeah, we did. Like, and now you know about this for every course you design, like the connection of instructor to student is really special. When we're not trying to get rid of that, we're just trying to enhance it in another way to make it more fun and engaging and interactive and make it more meaningful. That's, you know, we're, we're a team, we're a partnership, we're, we're equals in this one. It's not me stepping over you or things of that nature. And that, if you can make that, I mean, going back to your point about champions, yeah. he ended up becoming my champion who then talked to his colleagues saying like, Hey, he was good to work with and, you know, gave me other names to work with people in the future. Um, and that was just awesome. That was a huge win <laughs> to get that from him. Yeah. And that just really emphasized, you know, the great communication skills that you have, as well as the leadership, you know, the leader that you, you, you are, because, you know, uh, leadership is influence, right. And, you know, one of my, um, um, the people that I admire, John Maxwell, you know, I have, uh, you know, I have a, a John Maxwell coaching and public speaking certification. One of his books, he talks about, you know, how you gain influence by valuing people. So, you know, working with that, that subject matter expert, you know, understanding his perspective made him feel valued. That's why he was able to open up to you. And then, you know, the communication lines are open and you're able to work together, collaborate, and then then everything, you know, became easy after that. So that's really great. And, you know, that's a great message out there to our listeners. If you have a SME who's not working with you, just calm down. Just, you know, try to figure out things from their own perspective and make them understand that it's not you against them. You know, you're working together to achieve a common goal. And, you know, a greater relationship might even result as, uh, you know, as a result of your partnership or your collaboration uh, with SME. So that's really exciting, exciting. And uh, thank you so much for sharing that. I'm still going back to how you got into the field of instructional design mm -hmm. and the fact that, you know, uh, you got into the field and you became so successful, successful and you're doing all those great things. And then now you have an instructional design, you know, institute. I mean, like, it doesn't get better than that. <laughs> so do you want to tell us about the Instructional Design Institute, you know, what is it about and, you know, how can, you know, our, our, our listeners, you know, reach out to you if they would like to learn about your Instructional Design Institute? Yeah, absolutely. So what ended up, and I never envisioned doing this, by the way, the fact that I'm talking about this in a podcast is like mind blowing to me com completely, yeah. is that like this all started because my whole like, you know, public instructional design journey was that I was a part of a bunch of Facebook groups and LinkedIn groups for instructional designers. And I noticed that I kept on answering the same questions that people were having. And I'm like, well, I, I, instead of just constantly writing the exact same comments every single time, I'm just going to start <laughs> blogging about it. Copy, paste, boom, here's the blog, here's the website. There you go. You can read all about it. That ended up gaining a lot more success than I thought it was going to. And then from that, I had podcasts before. Um, I, you know, I did a couple of different podcasts, but not the one that you actually, you know, know and think about. So I decided I was like, why not just turn the blogs into podcasts? And I, I know plenty of instructional designers. I can bring them on and talk to them. I was like, yeah, I'll just nerd out. It'll be cool. So that turned into the podcast. But then from there, something I wasn't expecting is that people were coming to me saying, Hey, these were awesome. I want to learn more. What should I do next? Mm -hmm. 
And it was at that point in time where I'm like, I don't have an answer for you because I don't have anything. You know, it's just like, if you want to keep on learning from me, I can give you directions about what to do and where to go or whatnot. And everybody's really different. But at the same time, they would go and do something I would suggest and then come back saying, no, that wasn't for me. I'm like, okay, well, then I'm going to, you know, if I make my own courses about instructional design and teach you these things and build a community around it and coaching and all this other, like, would you join? And enough people said yes. And I'm like, okay, let's give it a try. So I did a pilot program with 25 people, built out a couple of uh, courses all about really like the weeds of instructional design. Like I'm, I'm really getting into stuff that I wish that people had taught me about beforehand, but I had to learn on my own of just yeah. you know, firsthand experience. And enough people said that they liked it. So I'm just like, all right, here it goes. So now, you know, Instructional Design Institute is a thing. Um, you can find, if you just go into drlukehobson.com, you can you know find anything about myself, the YouTube channel, uh, the Institute and whatnot. Uh, but inside of there, it is just the courses that talk about things from actually how to work with SMEs as a course to scenario-based learning to universal design for learning. There's a bunch of stuff that is really how to take your instructional design skills to that next level. How do you really become more like an advanced instructional designer? And uh, besides from that one, like, you know, I'm, I'm designing the courses myself which is interesting so i'm the id i'm the SME, i'm the professor i'm the you know like i'm, I'm the everything so like it's kind of cool because yeah. i am involved with like designing the curriculum to then i'm doing the videos and then i'm building out the practice questions the applications the reflections and i'm i'm providing feedback in those assessment items and of course there is a you know a nerdy group of other people that you can chat with and talk to who are all at different stages of their careers uh, and that's how it kind of all got started. And we're coming up on mm, go, almost six months ish now. Wow. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been crazy. Congratulations. That's Thank you. Amazing. I'm glad yeah. you mentioned coaching because I was going to say from your story, how this whole thing came about and, you know, you've really had, had a successful career there. I think coaching is one thing that you can leverage, but there you go. You're already doing that. Too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so it's wonderful. Because as academics too, our natural tendency is that if you're going to be learning something new, we, we essentially yeah. have two different things. Is that you want to go out and, and buy a book that's like number one or number two is that you want to go back to school. But yeah. if neither are the answer, then what else is there? Because it, it completely depends upon the person, their position, where they're at. Like, there was like a, a million factors. Um, but I didn't feel comfortable about telling people to go back to school to get another degree and spend thousands of dollars in debt when I'm looking at like where they're at. And I'm like, you don't need, if you want it, sure, go, you know, by all means, I also have a doctorate. I, I get it. <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, is it worth it for what you want to do? Like, I think we yeah. can get you there just a few more, a few more steps and you'll, you know, you'll be off and running. So it's, yeah, it's, it's been really cool to do. Wow. That's really exciting stuff. And I hope, you know, as the people who are listening to this podcast, please go find, go find Duke on his website and go get, go sign up you know, in the Instruction Design Institute and you're not going to regret it. So this podcast, I just believe our listeners out, out there have really been blessed. We've learned a lot, you know, from you and thank you for sharing your nuggets of wisdom with us. Uh, the title of our podcast is uh, it's Empowerment Minute. So we're always looking for ways to empower our listeners, you know, um, they can uh, so they can learn one thing or two that can help them in your career. So we have, you know, a signature question that we're, we're gonna, I'm going to ask you to wrap up the podcast. So what does empowerment mean to you as a learning expert? 
So empowerment to me, it goes back to my story about how, you know, I failed out. I was real for the longest time. I was down on myself. I really didn't feel like I was worth anything. And it just absolutely ate away at me until I was able to change my perception about how I viewed failure. And that is the biggest thing that what I try to do within all the courses that I design is and that I teach too, is that if somebody doesn't do well, it is not the end of the world. It means that you're actually learning and growing and you're going to do something new and awesome. And we just got to get you there. Don't worry about the grades. The grades don't mean anything. No one cares about your GPA. I promise you that. But if you can actually show real tangible skills that you we're learning about applying it into the real world and making a difference. That's your job as an instructional designer. It is your job to show the transparency and clarity about how someone is going to take your course, learn something, and then go be awesome as soon as it's done. And you have the power to actually do that and to change someone's life through education. And that is empowerment to me. That's wonderful. I mean, I'm not going to add anything to that. That's just a powerful message right there. Thank you so much, Luke, for coming on this podcast. And I'm hoping that, you know, from this, we can really uh, continue the conversation, you know, of making a, in, an impact in our industry, once, learning one skill at a time. So thank you so much for, you know, coming on the show. We really appreciate you. Thank you. Of course. Thank you so much for having me.